Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. What's going on, folks? Welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast, and if you listened to last week's episode, I had one of the shortest intros I've ever had on a podcast, and I'm going to try to beat that this week because I am actually hoping to be on the road in about 12 minutes uh, headed to Nebraska to visit my sister, do a little turkey hunting, do a little bit of scouting for this coming deer season. So yeah, I'm trying to rush through this just a little bit, but wanted to make sure I got an episode out to you guys, and so yeah, that's what's happening. I do want to say real quick, last weekend, a couple guys from the Sportsman's Empire came down, uh, Nick from Michigan, Andrew from Ohio, and Dan from Missouri uh, made the trip to Oklahoma, took him out uh, hog hunting, we ended up killing eight pigs, so that was great, and uh, man, Nick from the Huntivore, uh, he... He butchered every single one of those. He uh, singed the hair with like a torch on most of them. He cut the tenderloins out of one of the big sows and made us made them for us on the spot. And they were fantastic. And kind of the whole point he wanted to come down and do all this was to kind of change the narrative on eating wild hogs. And I admit, I grew up hearing from all the old you know gentlemen out there and stuff, the older folks, that uh, hogs are no good. You can't eat them. Just shoot them, let them lay. And I've honestly done that most of my life. Uh, I've tried, you know, maybe twice to eat them. And uh, they've always been decent, but just not enough to really get me excited. So anyway, so Nick butchered all those. He brought down four huge coolers, filled them to the brim. And uh, and I'm really, really excited to to see what he does with them. So like I said, he, uh, he marinated some of the tenderloins in like a chili lime marinade and cooked them for us. And my goodness, they were good. So... So yeah, that was the uh, last weekend. Like I mentioned, about to hit the road to Nebraska. Pray for me. I'm I'm actually taking my daughter with me because my wife is out of town. Part of the reason I'm doing this trip when I'm doing it. Uh, so yeah, so I'm going to try to hunt some turkeys, do some deer scouting, uh, all while having my little girl along. So my sister's going to be able to watch her some. Uh, I I, oh man, thank you guys. I just reminded me, I'm, I need to grab her little pack. Uh, so I can tote her around on my back with me, and I forgot to pack that, so I'm super glad I just said that. Um, so yeah, so like I said, that's pretty much it for this intro. Um, we once again are going to be talking about some some of the rules and regs. Um, I hope you guys aren't getting sick of that, uh, sick of this, I should say, because um, I think this is the third episode I've done on it. But once again, it's just super important, and uh, part of the reason I'm doing another one of these is just to get another person's perspective. Um, so this week, you may remember Charles Greer. Uh, he was on a few weeks ago. 
Um, uh, he has a land consulting company. He works all over Oklahoma. And so, again, I, I, he reached out to me kind of asking if he could come back on. And I was more than willing to let him because, again, I just think the more perspectives we can have on these topics, the better. Um, one thing I did want to throw out, uh, something we covered in this one that we didn't really cover in the other ones, was the CWD. Um, uh, you know, last year Oklahoma had its first case. There's currently some talk of taking that away from the wildlife department and giving it to the ag department, um, which personally I don't really understand. Um so yeah, again, just lots of very important topics. So I'm sorry if y'all feel like I'm just beating a dead horse with this stuff. But again, this stuff really affects the future of hunting in Oklahoma. So that's why we're going to cover it again. And then next week, probably going to cover the hog hunt, hopefully my turkey hunt. Um, but who knows? Who knows? So so yeah, that's all I got for you guys. Um, thank you so much for tuning in, trying to beat last week's intro. So I'm going to shut this down. We'll get into the episode right after a quick word from our partners right after this. Private water fishing has opened up dozens of private lakes in Oklahoma and Texas for your personal use. You can reserve your own professionally managed lake for a whole or a half day, and you're even allowed to bring guests. No boat, no problem. Most of these lakes have some type of watercraft on site for you to use free of charge. And again, these aren't just little farm ponds. These are 10 plus acre private lakes professionally managed for large bass. Some of these lakes even pay you for taking out undesirable fish. You could literally pay for your day of fishing by fishing. If this sounds good to you, go to privatewaterfishing.com and sign up for a membership. Do you have a big folder of trail camera pictures on your phone or computer and have no idea what to do with them? Well, if you want those pictures to help you out this fall, you should be uploading those pictures to Deer Lab. Deer Lab is more than organization. It's real-life usable data. It can help you keep up with individual bucks and their travel patterns to put you in the right place at the right time. I use the historical data from Deer Lab to put a nice buck in front of me this year that I've been tracking for over three years. Check them out at DeerLab.com and don't forget to use code OKLAHOMAOUTDOORS for 20% off. We had the guys from Arrowhead Land Company on a while back, and if you listened to that episode, it was pretty obvious the guys are big time hunters. So if you're looking to buy or sell a piece of hunting property, why not call someone who truly understands what they're looking at? The crew at Arrowhead will work hard for you to not only find you the best buyer or seller for your property, but also to guide you through the entire process while keeping your goals in mind. Give them a call and let the hardworking agents go to work for you. There is truly no place like the great outdoors in Oklahoma. When you're out in the wild, you want your wireless devices to work. Unlike other carriers, Bravado Wireless believes that coverage in rural areas is important so that you stay connected. With competitively priced plans and coverage where you need it, the mission of Bravado Wireless is to keep you connected no matter where you are. Visit bravadowireless.com or check them out at one of their retail locations. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We're talking to a uh, repeating guest, Mr. Charles Greer. How you doing, Charles? Oh, pretty good today. Good, good. Man, I've, I've had a few uh, repeat guests, but I'm not sure I've ever had such a quick turnaround as this. You were just on about a month ago, right? Yeah, it was uh, a month or two ago. I think it was back, may have been back in January. 
Okay, okay. Time flies when you when you're pumping these things out every week. But well, man, just in case somebody missed that episode, why don't you give everybody a little bit of a an introduction? Tell us a little bit about yourself. All right, I'm Charles Greer with Whitetail Fanatics Land Consultants, based out of Norman, Oklahoma. Here, uh, been doing it for a couple of years now, and pretty much just wanted to come on and talk about all this fun legislation stuff that we've got here. <laughs> yep. Yep, and man, I uh, I've been getting uh, just a flooded inbox the last few weeks with this stuff. Uh, it for some reason it it seems like a lot of this just kind of came out of nowhere all of a sudden, and for for a couple days there, it seemed like you know nobody know knew what to think because so much of it was coming out. Um, it seemed like you know you'd get worried about one thing, and then the next day another topic would come up. And uh, and just before we started recording, you brought up some that I hadn't even heard of yet. And so there is a lot going on in uh, in the whitetail woods right now, or I guess just in the in the woods in general. Uh, so yeah, man, we have a lot to cover, and uh, I personally am looking forward to it, just to hearing what you what you have to say and uh, all the research you've done. Yeah, there's a bunch of it, and uh, it seems like they hit us all at once with mm-hmm. a lot of big changes yep. that are coming down the pike. Hopefully, mm-hmm. we can get ahead of it and voice our opinions. That's the hope. That's the hope. So, well, Charles, uh, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna chip in for sure, but uh, I know you have several topics you want to cover, and so I'm gonna let you pick the first one on your own, and and then maybe I'll guide us from there, but. Uh, Man, I know we have a lot to cover. Go ahead and take your pick. Where do you want to start today? All right. Well, I'll start with the one of the bigger ones. I believe is the formation of a uh, Oklahoma Wildlife Conservation Committee that's going to seems to me like take the power away from our legislative process for our rules and regulation changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I'm worried that that's going to take our voice out of the whole situation. Gotcha. You know, it could turn it, it could turn out to be a different way, but uh, it's pretty scary because all the bills already word everything for the committee or the mm. commission. Mm, so seems like seems like they're already trying to pass it before it's actually completely passed. Gotcha, gotcha. Interesting. All right, and uh, I believe you had the bill. Uh, you want to give everybody, you know, the number and kind of a you gave a little bit of a synopsis, but just talk about it a little further, yeah. just so people know what to be looking for. Yeah, it's a Senate bill number uh, one ninety six, and I don't have the date that it was actually introduced. Or hang on, like uh, March first looks like they voted on it mm-hmm. in the committee for a committee. Gotcha. And I don't know if it passed exactly or not all the way through, but mm-hmm. the way that, the way it's worded is they're taking the power away from the wildlife department, make their decisions anywhere from the budget all the way down to uh, rules and regulations and bag limits. They've got their hand in every bit of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I know they are going to make a director that would be answering to the committee but it just feels to me like they're trying to take the power out of the legislative process and uh taking uh our voice out of our elected officials gotcha 
So if I'm so, understanding you right, basically this committee would be able to make whatever rule they wanted to, and then basically if they decided it, they'd pass it to the wildlife department, and they would they would have to implement it no matter what it was. Oh yeah, yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's going it's going as far as use of vehicles for the wildlife department. So it's oh, wow. pretty much taken over the it's taken over the whole wildlife department. Uh, mm. And what worries me on that is more of a money grab because you know all of our money from licenses and stuff goes straight to the wildlife department. I'm right. worried it's going to carry over and uh, not be used for that. That was one of the one of the first questions that popped into my mind is, uh, you know, who's who's funding this committee? You know, who's who's paying their salaries yep. and stuff. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. A lot of questions about it. Not a whole lot of answers at this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There, there's a lot more topics that fall, you know, off of that one. But mm-hmm. I thought that was the biggest biggest surprise that I found out of the whole yeah. deal so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to go on into the other ones that we've got here? A- absolutely, man. Yeah. Go, to, go down the line. All right. Well, let's uh, touch base on the uh, CWD regulation for the mm-hmm. state that they're trying to go with. Yep. This was a big <laughs> one that I was that I was hoping to cover because one, it, it it's been a little hard to find information on, and I also just feel like nobody knows about this one. Uh, somebody, you know, I wouldn't have known about it if somebody hadn't sent me an article on it. Uh, it, it may have even been you that sent me the article. I'm not sure. I've gotten so many, but uh, but yeah, just something that's just not talked about um and you know i i actually uh i had uh our state's commissioner on last year jd strong and and i asked him several cwd questions and to be honest it, it just seemed like it wasn't really a concern um yeah and so when i you know and again then you know he represents the wildlife department so it it concerned me a little bit that the state itself didn't seem that concerned. And then when I heard about this bill, it concerned me even more. So anyway, I'll, I'll quit interrupting and let you go on and, and tell folks about it. That's all right. We've got house bill 2862. Uh, it's been introduced and they're trying to declare that the department of agriculture to have to be the primary entity responsible for all policies related to the testing and regulation chronic wasting disease in the state uh the problem i have with that is the department of agriculture you know we're dealing with wildlife here we're not dealing with uh farm animals and everything else so why don't we keep it into the wildlife department and uh fund their research and everything because what's going to happen is the department of agriculture get a hold of it and we're going to turn into like Illinois or uh, one of those other states that just do the mass uh, mm-hmm. uh, killings of all the deer, you know, when something's come in there. And yeah. I don't believe that's the way to handle this disease at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we've got products out there in the market that people aren't talking about to handle it. Uh, mm-hmm. That don't mean that we can get enough of it into a wild animal mm-hmm. to mitigate the disease, but... I believe that we could at least attempt it. Yeah. Yeah, I, kind of like you were saying, I don't, you know, as far as I know, there's never been a single case of CWD transmitting from a wild animal to a domestic animal. So, kind of like you are saying, I don't really see how this 
falls under the Department of Ag in any way. And then, uh, you know, you brought up Illinois. And one of my, uh, a guy that I learn a lot from is Don Higgins. Uh, he, he has the, uh, oh, Chasing Giants podcast and, uh, he's the owner of Real World Wildlife Seeds and everything. Um, and he, I've heard him talk about, you know, basically how bad Illinois done of managing it. And one thing he mentioned was, uh, you know, if they have a, a, a deer po- test positive, I can't remember what the radius was, but they, I want to say it was like two miles or something. They basically yeah, it's try either to, two miles or five. Yeah, they try to basically kill every deer in that radius, thinking that it's going to help slow. But, you know, they've pretty much proven that the midge that causes CWD can live in the soil for like a thousand years, you know, something like that. So, you know, his point is like, how on earth are you saying you're helping it if just the deer are going to repopulate that area in a few years and the midge is still there? That's it. And, uh, you know, it's what happens is the midge gets uh, ingested by the deer and then turn around and then it creates a misfolded protein. Mm-hmm. So I believe we can probably treat this just by supplemental feeding. I know they say that it's passed by the deer uh, saliva and everything touching, but what are they doing out there in the natural browse? You know, you can't mm-hmm. tell me that a deer's not going to come behind another deer and not nip on the same leaf. Yeah. So it just seems to me like we can uh, do a better handle of, you know, trying to control it than what they are. Uh, mm-hmm. CWD is the disease that it's not a fast-acting disease uh, because it affects the brain. You see the side effects at the at you know late term when it's fully staged, and uh, like the deer walking in circles and such. Uh, mm-hmm. So, if we can use nutrients to take care of that, you know I don't understand why the the government and everybody else doesn't want to try that beforehand. They're out on the East Coast. They're already trying to uh, give deer birth control through feed. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, I've I've seen deer out there when we lived in Maryland. They had feeders set up that had big rollers. The deer would stick their head in there, and it like painted the deer's head mm. with the form of birth control that was ingested through the skin. <laughs> uh, so. You know, there's got to be ways around it, and there's more to it, I believe, than what we even know. They're not telling us everything. It's all about funding right now, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned funding. I I already had a thought working, and funding kind of plays into it. Um, You know, I I think when it comes to wildlife, Oklahoma's definitely a little bit underfunded. Um, And I remember I was talking to a guy probably three years ago or so, and I was saying how... You know, if you look at a map of CWD states, Oklahoma's not on there. Now, we did have our first positive case, I believe, last year, so we might be on there now. But before, uh, Oklahoma was not on there. And I was talking to this guy, and I was like, well, you know, CWD's got to be in Oklahoma. He's like, no, no, like, you know, they say there's no cases. And uh, I brought up, I was like, how many deer have been tested in Oklahoma? Of course, he kind of shrugged, and, you know, Oklahoma has no process set up for testing and i think that's the only reason that oklahoma wasn't on the map is because they just they hadn't tested any deer uh but you know you can't tell me that kansas arkansas louisiana and texas all have cwd and oklahoma didn't um 
And yep. now I, I, I also like, I don't think as far as CWD and humans and stuff, I don't think it's quite as big a deal. I understand it'd be very detrimental to, to deer hunting if a human contracted it. Um, but I think people were eating CWD positive deer way before they knew CWD was a thing. Absolutely. Uh, unknowing. Yeah. Yeah. CWD has been around forever. It's not a new disease. Uh, it's just becoming more known just the fact because we've got higher deer populations than we ever have. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just like everything else. If the deer start getting overpopulated, they're going to contract the disease. So, but that don't mean we've got to wipe out everything in a, a two mile area and mm -hmm. devastate our deer herds. Cause that's all that's going to do. Uh, yeah. some of these other States, you know, the ones that do have CWD that's prevalent and they come in and use sharpshooters to, to, uh, kill these deer. They're doing it over bait piles where bait piles are illegal. Mm-hmm. So, so are they getting every deer that, you know, comes into that bait pile? Are they coming in and destroying it, you know, when they're not sitting there uh, at night sharpshooting? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's the big thing to me is is it's kind of backwards on the way they do things. And, you know, yeah, some sharpshooters are going to lose their jobs if they don't do that. They're, but they're going to be finding a different job doing the same kind of work somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, and... <laughs> You, you you brought up uh, Don Higgins earlier and his products. He's actually putting uh, humic, humic acid in some of his feeds and to captive deer that actually are CWD positive, it is actually uh, taking the symptoms and making them where they are non-existent and the deer are actually living a full life while taking this. So... Hmm. I'm pretty sure it's got something to do with nutrition. Yeah. Yeah. Did, uh, when you're doing your research and reading the bill and everything, did it give any reason on why they're talking about this? No. Like why they're talking not. about moving it over there? Mm. I was nope. just wondering it, if it was, I was wondering if it maybe was like a, a funding thing or a research thing or something like that. It could definitely be a funding issue. You know, the Department of Agriculture, I imagine, has got a lot more uh, federal funding and everything else for mm -hmm. stuff like that. But, you know, maybe the Wildlife Department's not able to get the federal funding if it's not through the Department of Agriculture. I don't know, but I just I don't like having the Department of Agriculture in a wildlife space. Right. And, you know, doing research is one thing, but being able to make legislation and rules and regs is another thing yeah that's it mm -hmm. uh you know the rule the rules and the regs deal that that may be a good thing uh but i believe that it would be more known to the public if it went through our legislative process yeah instead of coming out of a, a one body deal you know mm -hmm. at least then we could speak up against whatever right right okay well, any anything else on that one, or you want to move on to the next one? No, we can move on to the next one. That's fine. Okay. I just know we got a lot to cover, so I don't want to spend too awful much time on on one thing. So, well, All right. I'm going to kind of go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say what what you got next. <laughs> well, I'm going to kind of jump into one that's kind of in a little less uh, serious note. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was kind of it was kind of funny, you know. 
How about the uh, Senate bill, or, oh, let's see here, House Bill 2353. Uh, the commission may designate any two consecutive days after the season declared for hunting to be a senior citizen's hunting days, 64 years old or older, uh, and it has to be after September 1st of the year hmm. that that one was kind of strange that i don't know if that one's actually needed uh yeah it seems like it seems like the seniors you know can hunt with everybody else i don't know mm -hmm. if they need their own special two days uh yeah because yeah oh sorry keep going <laughs> <laughs> you're all right no it's just it, it's just weird to me that that would even make it in there just you know, to me, the older I get, the more I want to hunt with family and friends and and kids. You know, so I'm I would just this is my assumption. I would assume that you know seniors would want to do that same thing with everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I'm sure on your list, probably down the line, is some probably something about the velvet season and probably something about the the air bows. And uh, oh. you know the, the the two things I keep hearing, or the thing I keep hearing about those two. Uh, bills is opportunity you know more opportunity yeah and you know a point i made a few weeks ago on an episode i did by myself was you know oklahoma offers you know some of the most opportunity out of any state in the country you know we have a very long season um we offer multiple weapons you know seasons for multiple weapons we still have a, a true rifle season which not all states can say that um muzzleloader rifle archery crossbows are legal like I don't, I don't think we're lacking for opportunity so not to say i'm against you know senior citizens getting out there and hunting but i'm kind of like you like i don't necessarily think they need an extra an extra season for that yeah i totally agree uh you know i was reading the the stuff on the air bows and the air the airbow regulations that that they have in play are regulated towards people that can't shoot a compound bow. Mm -hmm. uh, that that's kind of what I was getting the gist of. So, where do we stop this legislation? Because we've already got crossbows, and crossbows were for people that couldn't shoot a compound, that were handicapped mm -hmm. and had a disability. That's that's the way they were back in the early 2000s and the 90s whenever I was growing up. Mm -hmm. uh, but it goes, this legislation goes even further than the air bows. Uh, they want to make a compound bow can be held at full draw with a mechanical device and still be legal to hunt with. Um, that, that I had not to heard. Me, to me, that is just like picking up a rifle. Mm -hmm. holding it out there and pulling a trigger yeah it, it takes everything away from the archery aspect of of the archery season yeah um and you know one thing that somebody sent me was uh how can you say a uh an air bow is a bow when it doesn't even have a string <laughs> exactly that's exactly you know it's it shoots a projectile which mm -hmm. you know your rifles and your bows they all shoot projectiles Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's the thing is I believe that what they're calling the airboat really needs to be in a rifle season. Yeah. 
even better, it would be in muzzleloader season. Mm. Um, Which that's know, one question I had. So, so last year, and that's part of the reason I had some trouble doing some research on this topic because Oklahoma passed Airbow's legal and rifle last year. Um, yep. were, are they legal in muzzleloader? I don't even know. Or is it just rifle? Uh, I believe it's just rifle. I did not see anything for muzzleloader being legalized. Okay. okay. Oh. And uh, one of the articles, some, again, people have been sending me a lot of stuff on this, was uh, an interview from an airbow manufacturer saying that they were actually against legalizing airbows in archery season. I've seen the same article on that, yes. Yeah. So, so yep. if, if the manufacturer is against it, I don't really see how you can be for it. Yeah. And, you know, back on the legislation part of that, they are limiting limiting the air bow use uh, to physically uh, disabled people. Gotcha. Okay. So I did that, not know so, that. So, that's good news. So that's a deep, you know, that's a good news, but, why why do we have to legalize basically a firearm mm-hmm. because it's on the same concept it just shoots an arrow yeah why don't we just use our crossbows like we have been mm-hmm. because if you to me if you can shoot an airbow you can shoot a modern day crossbow mm-hmm. you know it, it it seems to me like the crossbow would be more ethical to yeah. be in an archery season because right. an air bow, look, it runs off of an air tank. You get multiple shots off that same air tank. So you could actually put another arrow in there and shoot it faster than you could a crossbow. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it may be an opportunity deal for mm-hmm. people, but I don't, I truly don't believe it should be in archery all the way through. That's yeah. And and like you said, you know, if it if it is legal during rifle season, by all means, go for it. But I, yep. I'm like you, I don't That's I don't it. think it should be considered archery equipment. And you know, if it does pass, <laughs> I'm gonna use an example. Uh, you know, when when medical marijuana was passed, uh, whatever it was, two two three years ago, however long it's been now, uh, I remember talking to uh, one of our local uh, deputies, and he was saying he. Uh, you know, pulled a guy over. He was obviously high. The guy said he had a prescription. He asked where he got his prescription. He's like, oh, the doctor, and, and he named this town. And he's like, there's no doctor in that town. He's like, oh, you know, the guy in the van. <laughs> and, you know, there was a guy, there was, I guess he was a real doctor, but, uh, you know, yeah. he just, he got him a van. He was just going around setting up in parking lots, and somebody come up and give him their money, and he'd write him a prescription. And, you know, it's only a matter of time till you have that same thing with this. That's it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, I I believe the airbow is a neat concept. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't have anything about it, you know, against it itself. Just mm-hmm. the use of it. Uh, we've got to protect our hunting seasons. Yeah. I know they're, they're talking about opportunity. They're talking about, you know, more deer harvests, want more people out in the field. Mm-hmm. But I don't think doing that's the way to do it, legalizing something that's, uh, I would say, even more deadly than a compound. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. A whole, and, whole uh, lot easier to use. 
Yeah, and you know, a few weeks ago, I, I mentioned I've talked about this once or twice on the podcast now, but uh, you know, I think a lot of people kind of blame crossbows for being this super ultra deadly weapon, and and they are like they're easier than a compound bow, you know, definitely easier easier than traditional archery. But I don't think you can just give a a crossbow to some random guy, and all of a sudden he's just this crazy killer. Um, but I do think an airbow could be that, you know, I, I've never shot one, but I know that I, I looked them up a little bit, you know, did some research. They're shooting over 400 feet per second. Um, I'm guessing you have a, probably a pretty good range. The one I was looking at, I want to say you got, I think you could shoot it 12 times on one tank of air. So you have, you know, a quick reload ability. Um, so that one you could, you know, you could hand that to just about any, anybody and they're going to become very deadly with it. Yep, that's it. Especially shooting it just like a rifle, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's you know that's that's kind of troubling. Um, mm-hmm. If anything, make its own make it its own season. You know, yeah. give somebody a week to just go in there and shoot with the airbow. You know. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe it should be legalized all the way through. And uh, yeah. that bill that they're trying to pass that that Senate Bill uh, three fifty two, mm-hmm. and. But it's, I am glad. I, I, I was going to say I am glad you brought up that it was a medical thing. I, I didn't know that. I thought it was just going to be open across the board. Yeah, and here's another thing that that I didn't hit on: uh, a, a person using an airbow for legal hunting method during the archery season shall be limited to antlerless deer only. Hmm. Uh, you know that's that's a good rule. Yeah. You know, if this passed, that's a good rule. But the only problem I've got with it, we don't check our deer in person anymore. We don't take them down to the nearest check station. Mm-hmm. You know, I worry about how many deer on our current days that people check in and they're not actually an antlerless deer. Mm. You know, because, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the wildlife department kind of does audits. They come around and they check so many people, you know, a year that check them in to make sure they are, but. You know, there's still a lot of them that just slip through the cracks. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you got a buddy down at the processor. <laughs> yep, yeah, that's right. That's right. So, um, you know, going, going to the airbow, they're also talking about it being legalized for, uh, you know, wild hogs and, and raccoons and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't, if you can kill a wild hog with an airbow and do it consistently, I want to see it happen. Yeah. Because I've shot a wild hog before with the 308 at 25 yards and <laughs> shot him right behind the shoulder uh-huh. and he didn't die. Yeah. He, you know, it's, it's one of those deals that, you know, they're, they've got their place. They're yeah. just another tool. Mm-hmm. So I just think we need to limit where they're going. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the one po- the one positive thing that I've brought up about them is, uh, you know, they'd be a great management tool for, like, does and stuff where, you know, it's quieter than a gun. Again, using it during gun season. Uh, you can harvest some does without being as loud, you know, being a little bit less disruptive so you don't mess up your spot and everything. Um but yeah, I just I just don't think they belong in archery season. 
No. No. Um, <laughs> you want to get into the big one that everybody was talking about there for a little while? <laughs> Which one's that? The but old yes, I... uh, new, the new velvet season they're talking about. Absolutely, man. I, I'm really curious on your thoughts on this. Well, they're not all bad. Yeah. Uh, at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm for a velvet. I'm for a velvet season. Yeah. I'm not really for a velvet season on when they're wanting it. Yeah. But, and I think there needs to be some other season changes to go along with it to coincide a little bit better. Um, yeah. The velvet bill, what I'm going to call it, it's a Senate bill 910. And it's actually passed the Senate, so it's got to go to the House now mm-hmm. and be passed. What they're proposing is a nine-day velvet season at the end of August. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure I'm going to word this right. The last weekend of August, or no, the Saturday morning prior to the last weekend of August, right. and end to the last Sunday evening of August. Mm-hmm. So it'll be nine days is what they're proposing. And it's going to be a draw hunt only. So land, and it's going to be also, this bill only covers private lands. This is not for public land. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you're going to do, you're going to have to draw in for it. 90% of the tags are going to go to Oklahoma citizens. 10% are going to be for the out-of-staters. Mm-hmm. Um, there are no tag prices put on this bill that would be left up to the commission to, to set those prices. I believe this, if, if this went through as the way it sits, this would be a, a very coveted season for out of state hunters. Absolutely. That, that being said, with it only being on private lands, that is going to drive our lease prices way up in the state of Oklahoma. Yeah. These, these out-of-state hunters are going to lease these properties. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and even if they don't get drawn, they can still come in in our regular season, buy their package of tags, and they can get every tag. Yeah. They can buy, they can buy their archery tags, and they, they get two buck tags, and I, it's either four or six doe tags and four, one package. Yeah. Four, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so it's one of those deals where it's the season's not a bad concept. Um, there's only, I think, four other states that have a velvet season. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty sought-after states now since they've got it. Yeah. This would be a, this would be a revenue stream for Oklahoma tourism because of the early season dates and not many places being offered. Uh, the season, the season as it sits would limit it to one antlered buck, uh, at, for the season. And that would count for your two buck limit for the year. So that being said is the date. I've got a problem with the date. Okay. I, I don't think we need to have it at the end of August. Mm-hmm. I believe they need to put it September 1st. They want to run it nine days. Let's run it nine days. Mm-hmm. But as soon as that nine days is over, 
we transition into an archery season. Instead of October 1st being our traditional archery season, we come mm-hmm. in and it's compound only. No uh-huh. crossbows, just straight compound only for that archery season for the month of September after the velvet season. Hmm. Um, you know, the wildlife department's always talking about that they want numbers. They want more deer killed. Right. Well, give us more time to do it. Hmm. Um, it's going to be hotter than blue blazes in August <laughs> and September. Uh-huh. So, as hunters, we're going to have to do our due diligence to keep our meat fresh in 100-degree weather. Yeah. Um, the people that sell ice are fixing to make a killing. <laughs> yeah. But the bill, um, it, I think it just needs to be changed a little bit, like I said. Mm-hmm. And we also need some numbers. We need some tag number. You know, the amount of these tags is what they're going to cost. Uh, yeah. Because as a resident, you're going to have to buy a permit for velvet. Yeah. So they'll have they'll have a special permit for that, which that's fine with me. If mm-hmm. you get drawn, and I imagine they're going to do it kind of like our draw system now. Uh, mm-hmm. You know that we have for all of our draw hunts. Yeah. And. You know, there, there's nothing wrong with shooting one of these in velvet. It's something that just about every hunter wish they would see at the beginning of the season of deer in velvet. Mm-hmm. It, it would be something that your buddies don't have. Yeah. Um, so it's not a bad thing, I don't think. We just need prices on tags, especially for the out-of-state hunters, because it's going to be such a uh, such a special deal for out-of-staters to come in to our state and hunt i hate to say that they need to pay a lot more Mm -hmm. but they do need to pay a lot more yeah yeah so we we've got a good deal going on in our state and i i believe if they do pass the velvet season we will have a new state record within two years Mm. um just because the velvet does add a little bit of little bit of measurements um, mm-hmm. to the antlers, I don't know exactly how much it would add, but you know, you add an eighth of an inch, you know, on all the measurements, yeah. you know, you could bump a deer up there quite pretty big. Yeah. So, you know, all the trail cameras we have, uh, <laughs> you know, they look a lot bigger during the summer than they do <laughs> in the fall. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, man, I, I have, I have so many thoughts on this. I, 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 I think overall, I think I'm for it. I think I'm for the velvet season. Um, I've talked about it a decent amount now. Uh, one thing that, you know, I, I, other than college, I've pretty much lived within 30 miles of the Red River my entire life. And, uh, I can't imagine sitting in a stand in August um, and if I'm an out of state, you know, let's say I'm from up north, pick your, you know, Minnesota, Illinois, wherever, I think that would be a very rude awakening to come down here and sit in a stand in August. Uh, but I, I think people will still do it. Um, I, I don't really, I've talked about this before, I don't really understand the point of making it a draw for residents if it counts towards your two buck limit anyway. Um, I, I guess the thinking behind that is probably just 
you know, that time of year, I think deer are probably a little easier to pattern and kill. Um, you know, their, their testosterone hasn't risen yet since they haven't shed their velvet and stuff like that. They're still bachelored up. Um, but I, I, I don't really see the, the need for a draw, um, if it's going to go towards the two buck anyway. I think the first couple of years that this is open, I think it's going to have kind of a negative effect on the deer herd because just like mule deer out west or wherever, um, I think people are going to be shooting bucks because they're a velvet buck and not because they're a good buck. You know, I think it's going to be an opportunity thing. The first one that comes by, I think people are going to be shooting it. So I think it could, you know, I think, I think over time that'll kind of wear itself out and people get more used to it. But, but I think the first few years, I think you're going to have a, a lot of younger bucks being killed simply for the fact that they're in velvet. Um, I do like the, the, the idea of limiting non-residents. I think you're almost going to have to, um, I think, yeah, you'd have people flooding in from all over the place. Um, but, uh, you know, one one of the big things, kind of like I mentioned the whole opportunity thing earlier, you know, a big part of this is about opportunity, but a real big part of it, you know, it mentions tourism in the bills. You know, they're they're counting on people wanting to come from out of state to hunt this velvet season. So if you're, if you're limiting out-of-staters too much, I feel like you're kind of going against the purpose of it a little bit, even though I'm for that, because, uh, again, I don't think you can just go open season with this. Um and then, you know, it mentions when it opens that it will be private land only. I think that's, I don't think that's going to last very long. I think when they see the revenue this generates, I think it's going to be open on public very soon. And I think that's really going to hurt the public land hunting opportunities in this state. So, yeah, that's just kind of my wham, bam, down the line thoughts on it. <laughs> Again, I, I love the idea. Um, you know, last uh, my sister now lives in Nebraska. Last year I went up there and hunted and I went and hunted September 1st because I wanted to kill a velvet buck. I'll probably be back up there again this year because I want to kill a velvet buck. So again, love the idea. Um, but man, there's a lot, there's a lot to it. Yeah, there definitely is. And I think there's probably a lot more questions right mm-hmm. now Yeah, uh, than there are answers about it because, you know, if they do a thousand tags, they give not give 900 people, 900 residents, uh, tags and only a hundred non-residents, mm-hmm. you're not really bringing in that much money for tourism. Right. Um, so just how many tags are they going to issue? Mm-hmm. Are they just going to, are they going to make it a draw so they can keep track of how many people come in and do it? Yeah. Or, you know, there's just a lot of questions there. Um, mm-hmm. but we are opening a can of worms, uh, for the public land because, yeah. you know, just like the air bows came in for rifle season last year, look at where we're at now with them. Yeah. You know, a year, <laughs> a year, year later. Yeah. Yeah. A, a year later, we're talking about all the way through season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of yeah. good deals in it. So mm-hmm. I, just, I, I think I- we need more answers. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to hear some numbers. And selfishly, I might be a little bit against the draw because I'm the most unlucky person in the entire world, <laughs> and I and I never draw any tags, and so I know I'd be the one left out. Especially that. Oh man, that first year if I didn't draw a tag and everybody else did, oh, I'd be kicking myself. But 
yeah, but anyway, that, that's just a little selfish, selfish side. I understand that, but there is a da- there is a downside to this too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the velvet season. What are you going to do when you screw up your season? Because it's 110 degrees in September, yep. and you're out there trying to hunt, smelling mm-hmm. it up. Yep. And your target buck comes in, and he smells you. Yeah, you especially know, with that shorter season, people are going to be, yep. you know, more likely to to not play the wind and stuff like that. I, I have thought about that. It, who knows? Maybe it could save a bunch of older bucks. Yeah, it definitely could. But you know, they are patternable, and then you're yep. going to turn around and have them have them uh, in bachelor groups at that time too. So we've got a lot more eyes out there too. So yeah, maybe. <laughs> One one thing I thought about, you know, you always hear people complaining like, oh, I got pictures of these bucks all summer long and then season rolled away and they all disappear and go somewhere else. Well, now they'd have a chance to get them. That's it. But a lot of those bucks leave because they come in and put pressure on them right before yep. the beginning of season. That's true. So that's, that's one true. of the reasons they leave. Yep. I'll give this so, uh this I'll give this free tip out right now. If, if this were to pass, if you're not planting soybeans in the food plot, you're you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree on that one. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see if we've got anything else we need to talk about here. Okay. Anything that's else kind of sneaking up on us? Okay. Let's I see, got uh, I got one random topic for you if you don't find anything, but if if you got something else, by all means. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So uh, this is a habitat question, not a a bill question. But since I got you on, I'm going to get some some free help from you. Uh, this spring has been extremely wet. You know, no secret. I'm southeastern part of the state. Um, I swear it has rained every Thursday for the past like five weeks. Um, and so I, I prepped a big area to burn this spring. And as of right now, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get it burned, um, from a combination of just, it keeps raining. Um, but also it seems like we're having a really early spring. Um, you know, everything's getting real green. So kind of a two part question. One do you think it is too late to burn with everything getting so green? You know, could I get it to burn and would it do any good? And then kind of a backup question. And I don't know if this is even a question you could answer that has an answer, but you know, if I'm not able to burn, is there something else I could do to kind of offset that? Well, I think you're going to be able to burn. You're, you're just going to be burning at a different season. Mm. Um, it would be more of a growing season burn. Right. So you're, you're going to get some of the stuff to burn. Not all mm-hmm. of it though. Uh, like you said, you know, it definitely wouldn't be as good as a dormant season burn to uh-huh. open everything up. But I believe it would still have effects, especially here in Oklahoma. You know, next week the rain might shut off and you might get a dry mm-hmm. month and right. everything kind of go back to dormant, you know? So, mm-hmm. It's one of those deals I would definitely try to burn even up until June um, before it gets super dry, yeah. uh, and then just and then just hope for rain after mm-hmm. that so everything will start growing back. Yeah, and I, I think fire's good year round. Whenever you can get it done, get it done because it's going to benefit you down the road. And that's mm-hmm. 
that's what you're going to want anyways, because you, you go in and burn it and you're not going to be, you know, a cover aspect or a forage aspect right away anyway. So it's a long-term right. plan. Yeah. So I don't think it would, it would hurt to burn, uh, you know, later on, but okay. the way, you know how the weather is here. I've still got food <laughs> plants or food pots to put in and yeah. I can't even get the ground filled up. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, Man, I got real inspired this year on my habitat stuff, and there's there's a big deep draw at the back of our place, and uh, I've always I've always been scared to burn it to be honest. But we did a nice big burn last year, kind of around the rim of it, and so I got my confidence up, and we got an old 1971 dozer out there, so I, I can put in a nice big line. And so yeah, I, I dozed the line probably almost a month ago now, but just the weather and my schedule just won't line up and. Uh, so yeah, I've been a little bit afraid and I think I'm actually, I, I got to, actually it might've been delivered today. I haven't checked yet. I, I ordered some real world switchgrass. Uh, first time I've never done switchgrass and I'm going to use it more for screening than anything. And, uh, I was actually hoping to get it in the ground this coming weekend, but I think we got rain Thursday, Friday chance, you know, small chance Sunday, small chance Monday. So, uh, I know it needs to get in the ground pretty quick and, and then I'm, I am for the first time ever, I'm finally going to plant some soybeans this spring. So got a lot of plans. I just can't get the, the weather to cooperate with me. Yeah. You know, mother nature, she does that. You know, mm-hmm. she's got her own plan. Um, I'm glad to hear that you bought some switchgrass. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that'll make you some real good screening cover. Uh, just don't plant it too wide. Cause yeah. if you do, they're going to be laid right up in there next to you. Yep, I've I've been warned about that, <laughs> and especially their switchgrass, it gets pretty thick. Yeah, so you know they say deer won't bed in that real thick stuff, but I believe they will if it's secure. So yeah, let me ask you this: What's a good width? What do you suggest? I would say that switchgrass probably about ten yards, or yeah, about ten yards wide. Okay. Uh, are you are you having to screen on both sides of you? Like going into a stand or something, or no, just one side. Just uh, just one side, basically. So my plan is, uh, I got about a three-acre food plot that actually backs up to that canyon area. That canyon's pretty thick, lots of cedar trees and stuff. Um, I've cut a bunch of cedars, but so it's a little bit more open now. Um, but basically, I I approach from the opposite side of the canyon. So yeah, I'm just going to screen that one side, and then maybe a little bit uh on the side that faces the neighbor also um so yeah, yeah but mostly just one side yeah you'd so, be but, fine i'd just say about okay. i'd say about 10 yards wide because i think if you go much wider than that you're gonna have the deer bedding right there in it mm-hmm. uh, you still you still may have the occasional deer try to come in there and bed you know right up against it or something but yeah you can't do nothing about that so you just don't yeah. want to lay a big area for them so right okay all right, just uh, just had to get a little bit of free advice out of you. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> did uh, did you find any anything else in your notes that we need to cover before I let you go? Well, I want to touch base on one thing that snuck up on everybody to our neighbors up north. Um, mm. I don't know if you've heard about it—the trail camera ban on public land in Kansas. Yep. Uh, yeah. That is kind of what I'm afraid of that we're going to end up having here. Mm-hmm. I've, I've listened to some of the uh, 
people on the committee up there uh-huh. that decided to ban the trail cameras. And to me, they seemed like they didn't know anything about trail cameras. Mm. Uh, one of them stated that going in and checking your trail cameras was putting more pressure on the wildlife. That was one of their reasons. Mm-hmm. And in turn, they couldn't even tell you the difference. If they seen one, they couldn't describe the difference between a cellular camera and a conventional SD card camera. Gotcha. So, you know, I'm worried that we may be kind of following their lead mm-hmm. on that, uh, is having people that don't know anything about it. Yeah. And, you know, they didn't even put it out, uh, really to the general public. So nobody could even really come and oppose what their opinions were or give them, you know, good opinions for, you know, the hunters. Yeah. So I don't want that to happen here, mm-hmm. but I could see it. I could see it happening just because the public land stuff, you know, there's always an issue every year with tree stands left on public land. Yeah. And, you know, now I believe we have to tag our tree stands if they're on public land and, and left. You're supposed to have your name and stuff on them, I believe. Mm. So I just don't want that to come here. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, trail cameras are, are a very good tool to be used out there. And I really don't think they use properly. They don't put more pressure on wildlife. Um mm-hmm. And you know it's not even it's not just hunters that use these. You know, bird watchers and other people that just want to get pictures of wildlife. You know, they use it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's one of those. It's one of them deals that it kind of slipped in on Kansas. I don't want stuff like that happening here. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, I I would have thought that cell cams would get banned way before even a ban just on public land. Um, you know, I know yeah. a lot of, I, actually, I believe Boone and Crockett, I think if you use cell cameras, they don't accept your entry because they don't consider yep. it fair chase. Um, yep. so I knew that cell cams were a lot more heated topic and, and I, I did hear, you know, I think part of their argument in Kansas was that, you know, most people wouldn't be able to tell the difference between a cell camera or, or another camera. So it was just easier to, to do a complete ban. Um, but I, I will say, you know, Kansas is not a state that I would have thought something like that would happen. And it just, it does, it goes to prove that, yeah, yeah, this stuff can happen anywhere and it can happen real quick without warning. So, um, you know, all this stuff that we've talked about today, I think it's very important that people get involved, share their opinion, you know, talk to their representatives, um, because, yeah, they need they need to hear our voices loud and proud. Exactly. You know, they need to listen to the public. Uh, that's what they were elected for, mm-hmm. is the way I look at it. And if we don't have a way to voice our opinion on stuff, you know, they're just going to do whatever they want that they think is going to line somebody's pockets. Right. Uh, well, before we end this, I want to touch base on... You know, everybody, if if you're for these bills, if you oppose these bills, please contact your uh, local representatives mm-hmm. in, in the Senate and uh, the House, because that's the only way we can be heard. Um, 
we do have a wildlife committee that there are eight people that sit on it. Uh, you've got David Smith, Kevin Wallace, Jacob Rosencrantz, uh, John Waldron, and Rusty Cornell, and John Talley, Ty Burns, and Eddie Dumpsey. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Those are the eight that sit on the wildlife committee. Uh, so I would recommend contacting them also. Uh, not only your local representative, but let them know how you feel about these bills that are coming down. And uh, everybody wants to send emails now to mm -hmm. them. I recommend sending your email. I mean, you know, be polite, you know, tell them why you oppose it or why you're for it, but also follow up with a phone call. Uh, the problem with an email is their staff members can go through it, they read it, and it's gone. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't take them as long to go through that email as it does to answer or listen to the voicemails that you leave. Mm -hmm. So, you know, be polite, be professional. No reason to be rude. Uh, just contact your representative and let them know how you feel. You know, there's no right or wrong about it. Just let them know. That's the big deal. We've got to let. We've got to get into the habit of letting our representatives know how we feel. Yeah. Awesome, Charles. Um, yeah, you know this stuff that I've. I feel like I've covered quite a bit now, but it's important stuff. There's a reason for it. And so, man, I appreciate you doing the homework for, for all of us and filling us in. Um, but I definitely want to give you a chance real quick before I let you go to, to shout out your business. If somebody uh, wants to get a hold of you, maybe do some consulting, uh, where do they need to go to get a hold of you? All right. You can find us just by Googling us, uh, Whitetail Fanatic Land Consultants, LLC. You can find us on Facebook at Whitetail Fanatic. Uh, fanatic land consultants and we've even got an instagram page that we're trying to to get up and rolling so that's be whitetail fanatic land um and then my phone number is 443-545-4527 uh everybody can call just about any time leave me a message and i'll get back with them as soon as i can perfect perfect Man, Charles, thanks again for coming on. Like I said, very, very educational. I feel like we just started. We're coming up on an hour, so I better let you go. Uh, but thank you once again for joining me. All right, man. I'll do it anytime. All righty, man. I'll take you up on that. I'll talk to you later. Thanks. Once again, I'd like to thank Charles for coming on and just doing all of that research, looking all that stuff up. Uh, clarifying things for us and I know I've said this a thousand times guys but this stuff is so so important so if you care about the future of hunting in Oklahoma if you want your kids to have the same opportunities that you had or hopefully even better uh, you just really need to be paying attention to this stuff so reach out to your representatives and just let's let's stand together on this because as a hunting community we can be really strong if we go ahead and voice our opinions. So that's gonna do it for me. This guy, wow, this guy's this week, guys. I'm so ready to be out of here. I got about four minutes. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna shoot this thing off, hit the road. Uh, be looking forward to uh, all my Nebraska content, which actually I guess I'll be done hunting in Nebraska by the time this comes out. But anyway, go back and look at all my Nebraska content, and 
I will be keeping you guys in touch with what's going on. Thank you all so much for listening to the Oklahoma Outdoor Podcast. Once again, I would not be here without your support. So once again, thank you guys. And until next week, I will see you all right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast. You have the right to the best wireless service. Bravado Wireless provides the best mobile wireless, high-speed internet, latest devices, and customer service at prices you feel good about. Bravado Wireless strives to put these values first and offer you the best wireless service available. See what they have to offer at bravadowireless.com or one of their retail locations in eastern Oklahoma. Let Bravado Wireless connect you to your family, friends, and business partners all over the world. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection.